All right, Mr. Finley, how are you today? Hey, Mr. Finley, how are you? Good morning, sir. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, and yourself? You doing well? You got the, <laughs> what you got is the this? nice hat on. You got your nice beanie. You got your lucky and yourself, beanie And yourself? How are you doing? Uh, I have you? some nice insurance to sell you. Yas, queen. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Nice term. Okay. Hmm. okay. Anyways, um, yeah. So, welcome to uh, number 50. Of things. Yeah. I mean, anything you count will have 50 in it. That's a good At point, At some huh? point, for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Anyway. 50 mistakes, even. Let me add, there's, there's a thing about... Uh, this is one of these, uh, the movie we're going to be talking about today is a movie that really sort of, every once in a while you come across a movie where you're like, what was the, what was the intention, do you think, of, that, of this movie? And I'm not saying what was the intention of uh, the story that they're telling or what was the, 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 there seems to be like an underlying sort of, I don't know, story or something that the director's trying to get at. Let me ask you this. this is a movie that really sort of begs for that. Let me try to pin it so you can wrap your thought around it, maybe. Maybe even by rejecting it. Are you asking, like, what is, to put it generically, like the artistic attention behind making this movie? Uh, Yeah, okay. There you go. Okay. Well put. Well put, Joseph. You should have started this thing. Uh, I I will say this without answering you, because I have some thoughts on it, because I had some of the same questions as I was watching it, um, Mm -hmm. and that is, um, it's a movie that begs that question. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. you're, I don't think we're being yeah. overly cine, cinematic or cinephile yeah, yeah. uh in order to having. I don't feel. Yeah, I don't feel like. You are, I don't feel way. like. What's that? I'm as articulate as you. Yeah, are I don't. I don't feel, yeah, I don't feel like I'm just like I'm saying anything like too far out there by by saying this is the this is the sort of the central almost like. Hmm. I wonder if this could be the worst one we ever do. Yeah, man. <laughs> come on. Now. Let's start over. How again. ambitious of you? Okay, we're doing 1974's Night Porter. The Night Porter, yeah. And and I think one of the one of the it's almost like is the is trying to question what the director's intention part of his intention with this movie. Well, also Maybe. what what it's um, okay. So uh, my wife and I. You um, watch it with your wife? No. Oh. But we recently um, saw a movie three times in a row that we were fascinated <laughs> with. And I think a lot of the country, or I should say this, maybe because we're both teachers, yeah. a lot of the teacherly part of the country that we know is fascinated with this movie currently on Netflix called um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And so it's, it's first of all, it's, it's a Kaufman movie. So automatically it's like, let's do, like, prepare to dissect and have a weird conversation <laughs> about this. And should right. you smoke pot before you watch it? Or is it better if you don't? Like right. there's all kinds or, of crazy. Or, or does this take the place of pot right and it it it, it um it's the kind of movie that that goes along i was thinking with my friend like um i forget his name is it logos i forget the, the guy who did the lobster dog tooth and oh, sacred yes, deer right, there's right. that there's charlie kaufman there's also wes anderson who i know you don't like but maybe give him credit for being like having the kind of um very unique intention to his artistry that yeah, these guys yeah. have so there's a list of people and 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 so there's that and 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 i'm thinking part of the question isn't just what the artistic intention is but what's the intention of an audience who you could say you <laughs> it could does say get back hard in this in this movie for sure they they okay an audience can be surprised by anything of course yeah. right i mean i i recall speaking of wes anderson that my dear dear mother and her husband 
received, and I think you know the story, but they received a copy of Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel as a Christmas gift. And they were like, would you like to watch this with us? And I was like, uh, yes, <laughs> but why do you want to watch it? But okay. And we, we got about 10 minutes into it and they were looking at each other and they were like, oh, what, what? and I go, yeah, I was kind of curious. And they were like, they thought it was the Grand Marigold Hotel, uh, the Maggie Smith uh, sort of, you yeah, know. Very different beast. So it's like, okay, somebody could be, could be tricked or surprised into watching this movie, but what makes them continue watching it or studied or talk about it is part of the question here because this movie reminded me of another movie I think I'd like to bring back around later to talk about that we talked about, and that's Seven Beauties, the Italian film. Okay. Um, because this movie, and you could count like um, the movie that I'm, I watched with my wife, the Charlie Kaufman movie, I'm thinking about ending things, um, to a greater degree, a movie like Black uh, Snake Moan, where it's like, okay, there is a, there is a, a value and a quality in simply... Um, uh, a, a postmodern approach to shaking up things like social mores. Right. 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 There's and, and an norms. absolute value. Just taking up your norms 100%. and sh- shifting them around. Let me ask you this, just before we go any further, would you say that this is qualifies as what we what we call an art house film? Well, again, I would. Res- <laughs> I mean, yes, because I think that the art house crowd would receive it and, and did receive it that way. Right, but I, but but I'm going to go. You want, uh, I'm going to go sort of one step over this and, and kind of bring back what you were talking about before, which is the questioning of the in- uh, of the intention of the audience for this. Yeah, this feels like exactly the kind of movie that like a like a douchebag like you or I mm-hmm. would trap or trick some of our other friends into go seeing. You're like, let's go mm-hmm. watch this movie. But if you start, if you explain it to them, they might not they might not go with you. You know what I'm saying? I well, you almost trick him into going to see this movie. This is the, this is this this movie has a feeling of a word of mouth power to it. I would trick someone into seeing, like your mom, for instance, to, to watching this movie in the same way that I would trick someone into to um, accidentally going Faces to a Tim a Tim Allen concert with me. Ooh. Like the the pure joy of how <laughs> horrifically uncomfortable and unfunny it would be would be itself kind of the anti humor, the funny. Oh, yeah. But I I wouldn't. Um, the th- <laughs> See, I mean, like the, the, this movie, the, here's the power of the movie is we're not sure whether to talk summary, analysis, or evaluation. We're skipping all <laughs> over the place. Yeah. And, um, I, and I kind of would like to go in a little bit of an order, but I, I'm willing to have you shake that up because it's that type of movie. But The, the Night Porter is... Let's, yeah, let's just... W- w- what's the movie about? Okay, so, f- so there's several things to it. There's the inside-out side, right? There's the, the what's the movie about, and then like what's, what does it mean that peop- the people who made this movie made this movie? Right. And it's like The Night Porter is a movie about 1957 or 8 or something, Austria, and there's a hotel and a woman checks in with her um, her husband, her powerful husband, who's, who's at, a, at a conference or something, and mm-hmm. And um, she realizes that the porter was her former tormentor at a at a concentration camp. Right, tormentor slash protector slash lover. And it's she in a concentration. Well, that's camp. okay. So let's just go slowly here because that she she was a political prisoner. That seems to be an important distinction, right? right. Because mm-hmm. she could be, you know, historically there's some sort of possibility of 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 her being his like concubine, but that doesn't cover the world word precisely yeah, either yeah. because it's clear that he obviously look, there's a several levels of manip- manipulation mm-hmm. um, in the sense that, that Bill Clinton certainly um, um, 
possibly assaulted Monica Lewinsky simply by virtue of being the most powerful man in the right, world and her right, being right, an right, intern. Right, right. Um, of course. Yeah. And, and, and whether the, the, the situation between them, which is a sadomasochistic in the camp, sadomasochistic, mm-hmm. um, sexual relationship, whether that is, um, I mean, obviously on its face value, he is the perpetrator, but the problem is the movie does something which I think tries to be very brave, or right. I guess is brave. Mm-hmm. And that is that it makes her complicit. She, she doesn't, She's into it. Yeah. As yeah. a prisoner. Well, you know, I mean, um, mm. and I think that's more or less true in sort of the uh, the BDNSM uh, world uh, from, from sort of my outside observations of it is that outside, there, there's okay. a submissive. I mean, there, there, there's a class of people in the BDSM community. They're called submissives, and they – they are they are absolutely they're utterly complicit. They're more than happy to be complicit in being in a submissive position. Well, that's old news. But but what's what's interesting is that you posit it in a concentration camp. Well, right, but you, no, exactly, right. I mean, that's that's the thing. We're saying that this exists across that particular set of circumstances. So it's almost like a what if? It's a thought experiment. What if right. somebody found themselves in 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 a, a sub dom relationship as the sub, but they happen to already be in a concentration <laughs> camp? I guess right. that's the scenario. And so, so like convenient at that level, it's like I want to call this movie like, oh wow, very bold. It's not going to back off from that. It's not going to make you mistake like, oh, he must be making her right. because part of the plot line is that she gets she gets to the hotel. She's kind of horrified by seeing him there. He is also <laughs> not only horrified by seeing her, but he's going through a situation where there's something like a reverse star chamber happening. Right. Where lawyers in it's Austria... It's very hard to sort of figure out exactly. It took me a long time to sort of figure out what Well, they're, they're trying to suss out by virtue of like an academic sense almost of a trial... Like let's 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 get anyone who might still be on the hook for crimes against humanities. Right. Let's see what we, if we were the prosecutors, could find against them, so that we could keep them safe from prosecution. Right. We, that, that's finding all the finding the evidence, finding the witnesses. We can then eliminate those. So of course, the, the the most sort of like ridiculously convenient part of the movie is he's just about through that process. Right. This night porter, when all of a sudden it's like, well, there is one witness, and there she is, yeah, a yeah. guest in your <laughs> hotel. Up, right. Okay, but it's like, all right, I'm willing to, to sort of overlooked that part too because you know once they get back to the hotel the husband leaves to go to to leaves austria mm-hmm. to go handle business you think she would go right away with him because you're still in the mode where you're not sure that she was part of the yeah, yeah, yeah. was a, a willing sub and and what happens is they rekindle right that relationship yeah hardcore okay Very. so the thing is for me the thing about this movie is everything on paper is kind of brilliant. Like I really am into the idea of this movie. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, you got you have Dirk Bogard, who's who plays the the, the night the Nazi, porter, the, Nazi. the former the Nazi, night porter. the Nazi, and and um, he's got his own sort of interesting history. He did a movie called motherfucker i can't all motherfucker, of this i can't it's called motherfucker it was a great I can't. movie was, i mean it was banned in lots of countries it, it, where you couldn't fuck your mother and can't. Jackson, uh, but <laughs> motherfucker i can't starring samuel jackson <laughs> wow um it is, oh it's called victim and, and in victim in 1961 Dirk bogard plays um a closeted uh, gay husband Who's, who's living a heterosexual, heteronormative lifestyle, who, who, who's about to be outed by a blackmailer, and he decides he would rather come out of the closet than be blackmailed. Huh. And this is 1961. Now, keeping in mind, right. 
it was illegal still and, and up until 1967 in England where the, that movie was made to be a, a homosexual. Now, how much that was prosecuted back then, I don't know. But but the point but is... It was, it, was, it was a potential nail in any given coffin they wanted to throw you so in. So much so that, that, he, that he, he played himself off as a kind of a Heath Ledger in the sense that like he makes the movie. Liberals are like, how brave, how progressive. And he's like, yes, as a heterosexual man. Meanwhile, Dirk Bogard was as gay as the day is long. <laughs> really? You know, and so it's like there was a, there's many levels happening and so like you bring that person um you bring that person to the table here and it's like you know he did this thing that 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 um burt lancaster did in in by the like mid-1950s sort of burt lancaster did that thing where he was like i'm gonna make a gunfight at the okay corral mm. then i'm gonna make sweet sweet smell of success like a commercial give me yeah, it's like then, george clooney is doing today or I suppose has been doing, yeah so yeah um dirk burt um Bogart. Dirk Bogart um, said, fuck it. He's just going to go all the way. So he basically gave up his like money-making career mm. mid-60s on to do things like the Night Porter and, and stuff like that, which is like fucking... So even on paper, the story I like, mm. outside, like the, the intentions, Charlotte um, Rambling, who's been some really, really... Are you going to ask you about this one? Okay. Just sort of breaking down the mechanics of the movie in itself. The acting... Charlotte Rampling, that's one either one of my favorite acting jobs or one of my least. I'm not 100% sure of that. She's she she pulls a stillness out that you don't know if that's like, you know, like that's how the, the problem how the, intentional that I've is. I've seen her in a few things. The one I, I I the movie I like her in a lot and and I think she's very good in is Stardust Memories, which is the Woody uh, Allen Woody like Allen. turn after after um, Manhattan. The problem is in Stardust Memories, she's sort of a a, a, a 1000-yard stare person and the thing is i'm not sure that that's acting anymore the more i see her (laughs) right and the truth of the matter is this is my problem one of the problems with the movies i don't think it's very well acted Mm. i don't think they actually get any place interesting after the interesting premise yes i don't think even the writing the exposition is sort of like i have a file here which explains the last 10 years of your life let me read it Mm. and in that voice and so it's a, a vast disappointment for me, the execution of this movie on every level, although the intention of the movie, from the filmmaker's point of view, is very interesting. Now I think about, and I'll let you talk, sorry, I think about the audience intention this way. I think, and it's not a judgment, whatever you want, that's fine in life, but I do think, I imagine it playing a little bit to the titillation of audiences rather than the interesting aspect of it. Well, I think I think uh, again we're mid we're mid seventies when this movie came out, right? So mm-hmm. what are they also? What are they? I think the curiosity to see this movie is the same curiosity that made uh, the, the the Devil and Miss Jones like a huge like like yeah. a, like a movie theater success. Like there was yeah. a brief window in the seventies where. The difference between movie and pornography was very, very, was very slight. Well, the Mitchell brothers were pushing that envelope for sure, yeah. you know, behind the, the green door, et cetera. Right. Them and others. And they were trying to make art house pornography. And there's a sense in which these people are sort of, this movie is sort of like, it, it feels like it's sort of riding that wave yeah. without, I don't know, maybe like being a part of the wave, but not yeah. like a very big part of it. I think that's. I think that was some of the attraction to this movie back in the time. And again, um, I think titillation has has its part. It's just it just sort of like dices the the slices a different part of the pie, and it kind of it, it dilutes the whole other intention it might have had. Right, right, yeah. This is I think this is a movie that would love. And and then there's the other thing too. Okay, so let me just oh, so I got a couple of things to say here. First off, I think the best actor in the entire thing was Bogart. <laughs> like I think he was the Bogart. He's the he's the he's the one who's actually bringing like serious acting chops. So you know, Charlotte mm. Rampling, I think, is interesting. Mm. 
but she's just there having kind of freakily beautiful eyes. I think that's mm-hmm. like her number one contribution to this movie. Yep. And then I think you're right. I think the execution in the movie falls off because I don't yeah. think they knew where they were trying to go. Because what it what it does is after we're introduced to their relationship and once we sort of get the full scope of that, and then this this trial amongst the other Nazis becomes like. The heavy hand of the becomes most of the rest of the movie is is trying to you know keep her out of their clutches supposedly, and at that point I think I think ultimately what they were trying to do with that entire thing was talk about like the absurdity of these people maintaining these beliefs in a post World War you know in a post Nazi Germany sort of a war structure. I think they were going their fascist. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they were trying to go. I think they were like trying to make an like a larger statement about the absurdity of that, particularly with Bogardi's like contempt for their their attempts to hold on to that. He, well, he, but I don't think it was executed well. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it comes across as even like, where it could have been interesting. There was the the Italian who had had done things and had known things, and so he was this sort of like possible loose piece of evidence and so uh, Bogart uh, feels like he has to contend with him and it's like okay that makes it kind of interesting but even the way that's handled is like so sloppy yeah um yeah I just and there's something there's a few things I I, I didn't quite understand minor things but I didn't it says something that I didn't care much to follow up like the countess Right. I sort there of. It seems like there's it, a bigger story going on there. Yeah. Same thing with the German. With the, I mean, like how, like the guy, the guy had a goddamn monocle in. Like, like you're not, you're not really undercover at that point. I don't. Think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't get more Nazi if you tried. That's true, boy. Why? How did? Boy, the Nazis ruined monocles too. You're right. Monocles, two bad things. Black and black <laughs> with a green undershirt. What the fuck is that? <laughs> I like brown shirts. I'm gonna say it right now. I like them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, and I don't know what can be done because you have to. Ooh. People have. Can we to, go to a pause? Why? I have bathroom situation. I would prefer that you just shit your pants I, on the show. You no, know you would not. Do you now? Do you have to do do or do you have to yeah. pp? Yeah. I well, it. go. I'm not gonna pause it. I'm just gonna keep talking. Oh, man. But hurry up. Like, squeeze that doo-doo out, sir. Wow, that's really very 50-something of you to immediately have to take a shit. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been, I thought I could fight it for several minutes. I can't fight this doo-doo anymore. I've forgotten what I started. Well, go duty. Huh? I can't, I can't move right now. You can't move? I'll shoot my pants. Uh, <laughs> we have it on tape. All right, ladies and gentlemen. That's all. That's all. <laughs> This is Tom. You know what? Let's end the Patreon series right here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna let I'm gonna sort of wind this episode out and say um, the night body. (laughs) Tom, he's falling all over himself. Not hopefully not shitting his pants, or maybe hopefully shitting his pants. So yeah, it's been a great run, Tom. Thanks for (laughs) thanks for just judging that movie and. I think that, um, yeah, I wonder what Tom, I wonder what he had there. We had a few cups of coffee um, on the way over here. I think we had a, a cinnamon roll. I guess that's a little diarrhea-inducing. I'm not sure, but uh, wow, 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 wow. Oh, one thing I wanted to say, now that Tommy's gone, um, presumably shitting all over his balls, um, I can, I guess, mention that um, 
I saw this. This sort of relates to the the Stardust Memory thing. Uh, an interview with Woody Allen, and they were talking about three beloved films post um, Annie Hall, and one was Manhattan, and the other was, the other two were Hannah and Her Sisters, and the third one was Crimes and Misdemeanors. These are all films that I love, and, and most people love them if they love Woody Allen. But Woody Allen said something really strange. Woody Allen was saying that uh, Man- uh, Manhattan, after he filmed it, he thought it was a piece of garbage. And he begged the um, United Artists, I think it was, to shelve the film and he would do another one for free. And they were like, we already have backers here, buddy. And to this day, he's like, that movie stinks. Which is like, I don't know if he's just being Woody Allen trying to be like a weirdo, like the unexpected viewpoint. Like, what would be better, Woody? Uh, Curse of the Jade Scorpion? Ha ha ha. Inside joke to Woody Allen fans. But, or, um, I don't know. But then then he does, the next year, um, the movie with Charlotte Rambling, which is Stardust Memories. And Stardust Memories is maybe a reaction. I mean, we'll talk about this, more about this during a Woody Allen episode, but maybe a reaction to, to Manhattan in the sense that it's all about a director, kind of a... Um, a Fellini-esque sort of look at a director, kind of a la eight and a half, but he's also giving the finger at the industry, and so maybe that's a reaction. Then he, he talks about Hannah and her sisters, I think it's 85, 86, and he says something that I've always felt about that movie, as much as I love it, I agree with him, and that's that he let himself off the hook. Like Michael Caine at the end becomes enamored with um, his wife, Mia Farrow, again, lets Barbara Hershey go. Woody Allen's character and Diana Weiss become a happy couple. And he's like, I just fucking, I, I basically just gave up. And I kind of agree with him there. And then he says of Crimes and Misdemeanors, a film that I might like it better than all uh, the best of all three of those. And I've used it in my classes before. Um, he didn't let himself off the hook. He let himself be totally tragic in moments. And I thought, yep, you're right about that. So what does this have to do with the night porter? Almost nothing, really. I just thought this would be a great opportunity now that Tom's basically shitting his brains out. Probably needing a hose down in the yard, if I'm going to be honest. The look he had on his face. I mean, you heard it, ladies and gentlemen. He was knocking that mic over to get to the can. That... um that uh, uh, the whole Woody Allen connection there. So anyway, Night Porter, mm, you know, I guess I would say this. It is a movie that is, if you, it's a movie you should see, although I don't think you're going to like it. I don't recommend it as a movie, but I recommend it as an experience for someone who's interested in talking about the way movies go. Now, what I was going to mention earlier and we didn't get a chance to talk to Tom about it, although I could do both roles, I guess. Well, Tom, what do you think about um, about the movie Seven Beauties in relationship um, to this movie, um, The Night Porter? I mean, do you see any similarities um, between uh, the two of those? And, uh, well, Joe, I, first of all, I just want to say that that's really, I'm sorry, I almost shit my pants. I think that's really brilliant of you. Uh, to make that analogy, because they, well, okay, Tom, enough, enough kissing my ass. Uh, what, uh, what do you think? Uh, well, we'll be let you talk more about it, Joe, because I think that you have a lot to say about this. Well, okay, uh, Lena Vermeer, I think, um, who directed Seven Beauties, uh, the year after Night Porter, I think one of the reasons it works is that it has all that sort of darkness. And that sort of unexpected, like, who exactly am I rooting for here? Can I root for someone who's, who's not only ugly but committing an ugly act? 
but there's I think it's necessary to have some sort of humor in there. And Lena Wertmaler um, imbued Seven Beauties from 1975 with a kind of like, first of all, like pop culture and music and juxtaposition of images and, and music that didn't quite match it. And then humorous moments along with really, really like disturbing and tragic moments. And the problem I would say with Night Porter is that the cringe, the, the, like the really awful sort of moments are interspersed with kind of just boring moments. The moments that aren't salacious in a way, if that's the right word, in, uh, in Night Porter, the moments that aren't that actually are moments that are kind of like a made-for-TV movie. I would say. Would you agree, Tom? Jewel, I agree with you entirely. I'm sorry that I missed a lot of this conversation because I was shitting all over myself. Tom, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I think I think that you're wise to see that I have made a good comparison here. All right. Um, I think that's it. Um, I think this what is the last episode of Patreon I'm going to do. Hey, Tommy, you're back. You're back. <sighs> How did everything go? Oh, magnificent, sir. <laughs> There's a saying by Vladimir Lenin, which is, uh, there are decades when nothing happens and weeks when decades happen. God, what happened there? A week. <laughs> okay. At least a week. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I, the, my my all-coffee diet this morning uh, caught up with me there. I mentioned that to, to the, the good folks listening. All right. Love you, Tommy. Love you, too. Talk to you soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Through the door.